Verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. You know, I think one of the most fundamental desires of the human heart, though we might deal with it in different ways, is this innate desire to be in the presence of God. Now, I'm not saying that everybody would phrase it that way. I'm not saying that everybody would respond positively even to to me saying that. But I do believe that deep within, regardless of how you deal with it, there is a fundamental desire to be in the presence of God because God made us for that. Now, the greatest king Israel ever had, King David, I believe meditated on this idea in Psalm 24. And in Psalm 24, you'll remember that David is thinking about, he's, he's meditating on what it would be like and what it would take to enter into the presence of God. And he asked this question... And then another, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend it to be in the presence of God? And and who shall stand in His holy place? Who shall stand in the, the presence of where God is? And then David quickly answers himself there. And he says, he, here's the one, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, now here's the problem. Post-fall, after the first man sinned, we, like Isaiah, uh, have come into the presence of God. And we know that in that presence, that there is uh, a sense in which, when we are in the presence of God, uh, that we are like Isaiah. We are unclean. And we come from a people who are unclean. See, I think Isaiah is thinking about what David had to say 200 years later. And what he recognizes is that he wants to come into the courts of the Lord. And and yet as he thinks about, uh, is he the kind of guy that David is talking about? As he has this vision where he is before the Lord himself, he realizes really quickly his greatest problem is that he is utterly unclean. And he comes from a people who are unclean. Now catch me, if Isaiah the prophet who spoke inspired words of God feels unclean before God, what hope is there for you and me? Right? I mean, what hope is there for you and me before a holy God? I think that should be the alarm bell that rings in Isaiah chapter 6 as we come before the courts of God. See, the Old Testament taught that sin was unclean. But, But catch this, there are also other people and other things that have not sinned and are not sinful, that are unclean in the Bible. So unclean doesn't always mean sin, but it always points to sin. Now you've probably felt this way before, right? I mean, maybe you have sinned and you have felt dirty. Or or maybe you have gone and watched the news and you felt like afterwards you needed uh, to clean yourself because it was just such a, a horrible thing and you felt like, am I really part of this humanity? Uh, I know that recently when I went and visited the uh, election booth to vote, I left feeling like I needed to take a shower, right? 
I mean, we just, sometimes you feel like there just isn't a good choice. You don't know what to do. And you feel like you are an unclean person, part of an unclean people. And how can unclean people come into the presence of God? How can we do it? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. See, we're back in our series, uh, The Fast-Paced Gospel of Mark, uh, where we have been talking about the amazing true story of Jesus. And and we believe that Mark records Jesus' miraculous deeds that prove that Jesus was who He claimed to be. Mark was claiming that Jesus was the Messiah, or Christ, God's anointed King. Now, you'll remember that uh, so far, Jesus has just left the synagogue where he, uh, he expelled demons uh, out of a man. And, and now, uh, after that, he goes and he healed a woman by touching her. And here this morning, we're going to be looking at another dazzling spectacle of Jesus' uh, miracles, where he comes and he heals and cleanses a leper. So today, we're going to see this. And if you're writing down notes, this is something you want to write down. Our main point, our big idea, is that we need spiritual healing and cleansing that's deeper than skin deep. We need spiritual healing and cleansing that is deeper than skin deep. That's a big idea. That's what we're going to be talking about. Now, we see this first. If we want to understand that, let's jump in and let's look at the leper's life, all right, in verse 40. We want to look at the leper's life. Now, Now, notice what our text says beginning in verse 40. It says, and a leper came to him, imploring him, being Jesus, and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. You can do it. Now, I know at first blush, this might not sound as audacious to you as it should. I mean, have you ever personally known a leper? Uh, I'm guessing you haven't. I haven't ever known a leper. Maybe you have. Uh, in fact, we only, in our country, we, we probably have good reason that we aren't familiar with it. We've only had uh, 200 cases in the U.S. last year, uh, just above the number of people who died from a shark bite. And uh, we also know that globally, we only had 189 cases in 2012. So it's not something that might be familiar to you. But catch this, this horrific disease has terrorized humans for thousands of years, both physically uh, and socially, uh, and even spiritually. So, so physically, if you're not familiar with what this does to you, it is, it is a scary condition. So leprosy, the, the word actually comes from lepra, which means scales. Speaking of what it does to your skin, it makes it scaly. And it can describe really a, a host of scaly skin conditions like psoriasis, eczema, acne, ringworm, any of those. But The condition spoken of here is leprosy sounds a lot more like Hansen's disease, a more significant disorder. And it was virtually incurable. So if you got uh, this disease, uh, it was something at the time that meant basically a death sentence physically. But it wouldn't happen fast. See, this sickness, it went deeper than skin deep. It, It creates skin lesions. It weakens bones. It would attack your internal organs. And it would cause sometimes your teeth to fall out and could result in blindness and damages your nerves. Now, you you can catch this. It's contagious. So you can imagine how scary it would be for people to be around folks who had leprosy. You can catch it by breathing it in or through touching someone or even touching clothes that have touched the person who had it. 
And they even used to believe that it would cause your body parts to just fall off. I mean, this was a terrifying sickness. Now, we know more about it now. Surgeon Paul Brand, who headed America's own leprosorium, uh, which is a hospital for lepers, discovered actually that 99% of the cases of leprosy, uh, it actually only numbs your extremities, doesn't cause them to fall off. In fact, he says that the one gift that he wishes that he could give a leper, if he could give them one thing, is the gift of pain. Now, that might sound mean, but, but what he saw as he studied this, is he saw the dangerous effects of pain's absence again and again. So he was in Africa studying, and he visited this man who had leprosy who was a cook. Doesn't sound like a great combination to me, but he's a cook. And so he's standing next to him, and he's next to this scalding hot pot of potatoes full of water. And all of a sudden, this cook takes his arm and submerges it down in the bottom of the pot, grabs a potato, and pulls it back out without even flinching. Now, what we know happened from there is obviously that that was not good for his skin, and it caused lesions and cuts. And, and, and what that would do eventually is lead to the loss of limbs just because you can't feel pain and you don't know where to stop doing stuff, right? So they even had some kids um, who they started having to buy cats for because one of the, the main problems that lepers had was that they would have cats that would come in and start gnawing on them as they slept and they wouldn't be able to feel it or see the effects until the next morning. Can you imagine what that would be like? Once again, we plan everything here. We have a Thanksgiving meal next, so... I hope y'all are ready to eat up. But leprosy, it wasn't just horrible physically. No, see, it it was also horribly socially and spiritually. So in Israel, priests distinguished between things that were holy and unholy, things that were clean and unclean. And so you had the clean and un you had clean and unclean animals. You could eat clean animals and, and you could sacrifice some clean animals, but you could not eat unclean animals like pigs, right? So uncleanness, they understood that to repel holiness and and result in alienation, not just from others, but from God. And so see, sin makes us guilty and filthy or unclean. But not all uncleanness is is for sin, right? Some things are just unclean, like uh, certain diseases like leprosy in the Old Testament, See, some bodily charges result in uncleanness, as did leprosy. But there was also a social stigma. I mean, you know that some people who didn't have leprosy looked at people who did have leprosy, and they knew their Old Testament, and they said, you know, maybe the reason that you have this horrible disease is because really it started with your spiritual problems. Uh, So you have sinned in such a way that God has cursed you with leprosy. We've seen it in the past. David cursed the house of Joab to always have someone with leprosy. Or what about when God struck King Uzziah with leprosy? We know that's happened, so maybe that's what's happening to you. But not all leprosy was due to specific sin on the part of the carrier. See, Leviticus 13 spends 59 verses telling priests how to figure out the difference between something like eczema and something like leprosy. Because they were different. And it was a lengthy process that involved this person having to shave their head and seeing if the sickness was actually, catch this, deeper than the skin. Do you see? Eczema, skin deep. Leprosy goes deeper. There's something deeper. There's a deeper problem there. 
And so it was a lengthy process to decide what it was that they had. Whether or not this leprosy resulted in discharges. And so Leviticus 13, 45-46 tells us what the priest would do when he diagnosed someone with leprosy. Now catch this. This is the reality for the person who walks into the doctor's or priest's office and finds out they have leprosy. It's been confirmed. This is what they say. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair out of his head hang loose. And she shall cover up his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. And his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Can you imagine the alienation of the leper? This person who is so unclean. I mean, just think about it. Do do you see what's happening here? He's walking home that day and and he's telling them, I'm gone forever. And I'm not just gone from my home, I'm gone from my hometown. Can't talk to my family anymore, can't be around my family. And not only that, if he wants to enter into any neighborhood or any place where he fears that people might be, he has to scream far ahead, unclean, unclean. Why? So people can run from him. Can you imagine years or decades of seeing people run from you anytime you come and you having to warn that you are so unclean and filthy from uh, this sickness that people literally scatter when you show up? People that you love most alienating you. I mean, what horrible condition. I mean, Dead people and dead animals were unclean. And these lepers, they represented the walking dead. Don't touch them. But catch this. They weren't just alienated from the people they loved. They would have felt alienated, more importantly, from God. In fact, one rabbi, a spiritual leader, bragged that he wouldn't eat an egg bought on a street that a leper had walked on. A rabbi, spiritual leader wouldn't come near one. I mean, they weren't even allowed to go and enter these lepers. They couldn't go into the synagogue or even Jerusalem, the city of God. They were cast out and they were prohibited from entering in. They were uh, always told to stay back far off from God and others. Unless, unless they were mysteriously healed. In which case, in this mysterious case, it's never explained in the Bible, Leviticus says... Uh, in, verse, in chapter 14, how a person healed of leprosy becomes clean. Which includes them going to the priest in Jerusalem for cleansing. Right? Can't go to Jerusalem? Now you can to get cleansing. But catch this. We're told only a blood sacrifice could provide the, more, the moral cleansing necessary for the sin itself and for the leprosy. Because blood in the Bible is said to be life-giving. Now here's the problem. There is something missing between Leviticus 13, which speaks of diagnosing leprosy, and Leviticus 14, which tells the priest how to cleanse someone who has been healed, allowing them back into the fellowship of God and others. What's missing between 13 and 14? Let me tell you. There's no word here on how to heal a leper. No word. We don't see it happening. 
There's no word on how a leper can get from the alienation of Leviticus 13 to the restoration of Leviticus 14. This poor leper looks to Jesus to give him the healing that he needs that there is no answer for. Begging him from his knees, this leper says, if if you will, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. I believe it. See, this hopeless outcast unflinchingly unhesitatingly asks the Creator of the universe to do what only He can do and heal Him. And hear this, He understands that He has a problem that only Jesus can fix. You see it? There's there's no other answer but you. Will you do it? And I know if you will, you can. See, I believe this leper knows that his problem is deeper than skin deep. He doesn't just look at He doesn't just look ashy to others. He looks filthy before God. And I know that if you're like me and you read this leper and his experience, you pity this leper. But let me ask you this morning. Do you know that we need Jesus as much as this leper? Do you understand that we see ourselves in this desperate man before Jesus? Don't miss this. As Gentiles, we too were considered unclean and unable to enter the assembly of God's people to worship God. And here's what that means. All of us have been born as spiritual lepers before God. It's only by the grace of God that we don't walk around screaming unclean, unclean, so that God and others can run from us. See, if you're a non-Christian I want you to hear the hope of the gospel this morning. The Bible pictures you as spiritually a walking dead person who needs to be born again spiritually to eternal life. And that might sound horrible. And it is horrible, except there is great hope to be found in Christ. See, Christ can give you the life that you need. It's not a hopeless condition. It is a hopeful condition when you come before the life-giving Savior. See, good news is coming. We'll talk about it more in a minute. But for now, trust me, God has an answer. But for us Christians, for those who have put their faith in Christ, if you want to understand what this story means for you, it should remind you of the healing and cleansing that God has brought us in Christ. And even more, as as Christ ambassadors, we need to draw in close to Jesus here because this ought to give us a picture into the heart of our Savior, Jesus, the God-man, and how we ought to respond to spiritual outcasts like this leper. See, we want to image Jesus in the way that we respond to those who are really much like us and as needy as us for an experience of Christ. And so God has sent us. Catch what Jesus does as a model of what we ought to do and our demeanor towards others who are unclean. This is what Jesus says. And second point, in verses 41 to 44, we see that Jesus showed unprecedented compassion. If you want to know what Jesus was like, He showed unprecedented compassion. This leper had no business just coming up on Jesus as an unclean leper. But catch what Jesus does. He doesn't respond as you would think He would respond. He doesn't say, get back, I am holier than anyone you've ever met, and you are utterly unclean, you have no business here. No, look what he does. Something startling in verses 41 to 44. Here's what it says. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, I will be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And then Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now see, we see a couple of things here. First we see that Jesus hates the effects of sin. Did you see that? Might be a little bit hard. See, this word that describes moved with pity, the word behind that is actually a much stronger word. A a word that means anger. And so you might be wondering, what would Jesus have business with doing being angry? I mean, can Jesus be angry? Well, we know he can, right? We know that when he cleansed the temple, that he showed a, a righteous anger over what was happening in this holy place. But why would anger drive Jesus to help this leper? Well, I believe Jesus looked at this desperately marred man and the effects of sin and a world that is broken and fallen. And seeing all that he had done to him and this marred image that had come before him. And he sensed anger, not over what he saw, but what he had saw that had been done. Over what had happened to this man. And catch this, uh, what he is saying is, I I don't like what has happened here to you. And that's, I think, an appropriate anger of the Lord. Now, I I just want you to know that um, it is okay sometimes to be angry about certain things and even to hate certain things. To have a really strong Uh, vitriolic kind of expression or response to certain things. So in my house, I tell my kids, there's certain things we can hate, right? You can hate sin. You can hate, you can hate uh, death. You can hate the devil. You can hate cancer. And you can even hate the Yankees. But that's all we do. That's all we hate, right? But it's not typically good to hate people and others. But those are enemies that Jesus came to defeat. And maybe it's helpful for your heart to know that when Jesus looks at you and when He sees horrible things in this world, when He sees things like your kid struggling with a disability that causes you to to cry at nights, or when you see your wife in pain or your husband losing his ability to walk, I think it's just good to know that Jesus is not okay with that, right? Like Jesus doesn't look at sickness and He doesn't look at your brokenness and what this world does to us in its sinful and fallen state and say, I will uh, if I want to, but I don't. No. Jesus looks and He says, I will and I can and I'm coming. And that's the message that Jesus has when He sees the brokenness all over around us. See, the zeal of the Lord promises to set things right. And Jesus doesn't just look at the leper and say, I, I won't or I can't I just don't care. He says, I will be clean. And that's his message for us. Hear me. Both Jesus' furious anger over sin and justice and the brokenness of this world and his unparalleled love and mercy towards sinners, both of those drove Jesus to the cross. See, justice and mercy, they kiss at the cross of Christ. And life is in the blood. And only the blood of Christ could bring the life and the cleansing we so desperately needed. And this, this cleansing of a leper is but a foretaste of the healing and cleansing that's coming when Christ returns. And when Christ gets back, 
every illness, from your little boy's boo-boo that you cover up with a Batman band-aid to brain surgery, all of those things are going to be dealt with with Christ and healed. And that's what awaits us. And this text tells us that all of those sicknesses from great to small remind us that we're not okay until Jesus shows up. Do you see it? We need to meet Jesus face to face to do what he did with the leper. See, that we, we need Jesus to show up and heal. And not just to heal us, but to cleanse us. And all of that to bring us home to the kingdom where we don't cry anymore over sin, death, or sickness, or anything else. But we get to live in the life-giving presence of God forever. That's what we're waiting for. There's another thing that we see uh, right here in Jesus' response to this man. Did you notice that Jesus reverses the curse? This is amazing. Jesus reverses the curse. Uh, here's what would have blown every Galilean's mind away that day. Jesus, did you catch this? You might have missed it. Reached out and touched him. Mosaic law is if you have a leper, uh, you don't touch them or you become unclean. Nobody would have done that. Especially someone who was holy. Nobody would have touched the leopard. So I'm guessing there was an audible gasp as Jesus went to reach out. Like, I thought you were the Christ. Thought you were the Holy One. Like, what are you doing? Right? Like, if you do this, everything changes. Can't be the Holy One from God. And they sit and they watch. And it's not recorded, but I'm wondering if Peter said, not so fast, Kimasabi. Right? Do you know what you're doing? Like, this is serious. We've seen this before with the sick, but, bro, they didn't have leprosy. And they were not unclean. Now, here's the problem. Uncleanness is contagious. I mean, leprosy, leprosy really does symbolize sin and death, doesn't it? In other words, if you touch someone dead, you are unclean unless you are cleansed. And if you touch a leper who is like the walking dead, you become unclean too. But Jesus reaches out and touches him, and two things happen. Two amazing things happen. First, the leprosy left. You see it? It's gone. Now, this would have been credible enough. I mean, Jesus healed him. He healed him. He, he restored him. Now, what does this mean? I'm not sure. It could mean some amazing stuff that's not in here. It could mean that he had limbs that were gone, right? They'd been chewed off, mauled off, broken off. That grew back before them. Fully restored. His skin would have gone from uh, broken down with lacerations to fully healed. I, lo- I love the picture that we see elsewhere of this because God does this elsewhere. But there is a, a full kind of healing that takes place in that moment as Jesus touched him. He was fully healed. Not only that, a second thing happens. Instead of Jesus becoming unclean, did you notice that the leper was made clean? There's a little literal curse reverse here as the touch actually works in the opposite direction. They haven't seen that before. Instead of Jesus catching the leprosy and becoming unclean, he heals and cleanses the leper. See, Jesus shows his authority not just over leprosy, but over the law itself. He is the fulfillment of the law. Showing, guess what? You know that missing piece between Leviticus 13 of being diagnosed and Leviticus 14 of here's what you do when you're cleansed? That missing piece of how do we get healed to get to 14? Like, I do that. That's me. I'm Jesus. I love what Don Carson says here. He says this is profoundly insightful. On the one hand, Jesus transcended the law's prohibition against touching lepers, but could not be charged. Why? 
Because the evidence is gone. Right? You touch the leper. Where's the leper? Well, he's healed now. We got a problem. There's no evidence. On the other hand, he says, he minutely followed the law of Moses and its statute on cured lepers. Knowing that the priest would have to declare the former leper healed. And this judgment would reflect on Jesus' power and authority. Do you see at the temple where he went and cleansed? Remember that? And John, where he went and cleansed the temple? Here, he says, I'm going to send you a witness to show you what kind of power I have. I'm a priest like no priest you've seen before. I don't just say, hey, guess what? Somebody's been cleansed somehow. I cleanse them. I'm a different kind of man. Now, we'll see the cleansing that we need. What we see here is that the cleansing that we need, brothers and sisters, it's found in a person and not a place. You'll remember Elisha also healed a leper. He healed Naaman in 2, uh, in 2 Kings 5. And, and Naaman is healed after washing himself seven times. Where? In the Jordan. In the Jordan River. Kind of important body of water in the history of Israel. And in verse 14, he's healed. And it says, when he was healed, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Can you imagine this? I mean, just think about this. You're a leper, and when you show up, people run, and you have to warn them, and they're running from you. And all of a sudden, you've been healed in such a way that you have baby, like, olive oil fresh skin. Like, that had to be phenomenal. I don't know about you, but there's nothing more fun to me, a uh, few things, than having a little baby and blowing toots on his sweet belly, right? Why? Because it's so soft, and it makes the best sound. Like, you get the best friction there. I and mean, I'm wondering if people were like, Man, I didn't want to touch you before, but now, like, so soft, right? Like, what a change in this guy's reality and identity. Everything changes. And here we see this Gentile general in 2 Kings 5 of a Syrian army. Elisha heals, and it says, and cleanses him. And it's in the same way here. This leper is healed, and the effects are immediate, and even the disfigurement of leprosy is undone. See, here the leper doesn't find cleansing in a place. In the Jordan or in the temple, he finds it in a person. He finds it in Jesus. He doesn't need to go to Jordan. He doesn't need to go to Jerusalem for cleansing. He's already found it in Jesus. See, the priest in Jerusalem only knew how to declare someone clean, but Jesus, the great high priest, came to make people clean. Now, there's a third thing that we see here that's important, and that's that the leper's sickness is still deeper than skin deep in verse 45. Did you see that? He's been healed of the leprosy. You're thinking everything's all right. This is great. His life has been turned around. Everything's going to be different from here on out, right? He's going to live differently. And we find that there is evidence that we see the revelation that his sickness really is deeper than skin deep. Notice what it says in verse 45 as this section closes. Kind of thing you wish they almost would leave out, except it's true. And so here's what it says. Verse 45. It says, But he, the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it. Supposed to keep quiet, but he went out and talked freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter, hardly keeping quiet. So check this out. Jesus meticulously heals or miraculously heals and cleanses the leper and he commands him really just to do two things. Like, hey, look, I've, I've done something amazing for you. I've got just two things I want you to do, right? Okay, so, so one, like I, I told you, really easy, not a big deal. Um, if you could just keep quiet. Don't tell anybody. And second, could you please go and show the priest? Because that's what Mosaic Law says. We need to confirm that you are actually 
cleansed. Now, we don't know if he went to the priest or not, and commentators debate this. Uh, Jesus did command him to go to the priest in the temple and obedient to Leviticus 14 to verify that he was now clean so that he could offer blood sacrifices and be washed and become fully incorporated back into the people, into the community of God. Now, this was a process that would have taken like eight days, plus the travel time to get to Jerusalem. So I'm guessing would have, he would have likely had to go through this step. I'm assuming that he actually did this, that he didn't disobey this command, mainly because it would have made it really difficult for him to interact socially with others about what God had done. I mean, he was still a leper and designated as unclean. So I'm guessing when you look in your Bible and you see verse 44, and then you move down to to verse 45, there's some lag time. I'm guessing they're probably about eight to ten days. And that's when he went through this whole ritual process. But once he was done, uh, what we find is, is that he clearly disobeys Jesus' second command, uh, which was the first, not to tell anybody. Right? And And here's where we see that the leper's problems really are deeper than skin deep. Now you'll remember that Jesus commanded other people already to be quiet and other beings to be quiet in this book, right? Do you remember back in uh, verses uh, 34 and 35 where Jesus commanded demons not to testify that he was the Messiah? You, You remember that? Do you remember how the demons responded? They obeyed him, right? you got demons who are obedient to King Jesus who understand his authority. And yet they are his enemies. And, and here we have something that is fascinating. Jesus tells this healed leper who God has given extreme and lavish grace to not to tell anyone. But he disobeyed God, disobeyed Jesus, and talked about it freely. I mean, what an astonishing picture of our selfish, rebellious hearts here. All he had to do is obey Jesus as Lord. But he reduced Jesus to a mere medicine man. When he said, you have no authority over my life or how I use my testimony. Now to be sure, I can't imagine how hard it would have been to be quiet. I mean, Jesus commanded him not to do the one thing. To talk about the most amazing experience of his small, despised, lonely life. I mean, he didn't have a lot to talk about. Like, what'd you do? Hung out at the leper camp, right? Other lepers, what'd y'all do? Well, we watched each other, like, die. And now it's like, but everything's changed. I want to tell you about it, right? I'm sure people compelled him to talk about the amazing transformation that had happened to his life. And he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Why? Well, I think that he was disobedient. And verse 45 tells us, I believe, why Jesus wanted him to be quiet. It's because him speaking raised such a raucous that Jesus could no longer travel freely preaching the good news of the kingdom to the many, many people and those many, many tribes and villages that needed to hear of Christ and the salvation that he was bringing. See, Jesus here, he shows us a picture really of all of us. He knows that we, like this leper, need something more than cleansing that goes just skin deep, right? Right? Our problems aren't just out here or just right here. They go deeper. They go to the very heart of who we are. And the disobedient response of the leper shows that we need a greater healing and cleansing from King Jesus. Right? We need our very hearts, the core of our beings, the way that we think, 
the way that we desire and want, the way that we interpret and value, all needs to be changed by the gospel. Now, if you're a non-Christian, your greatest need is the presence of God. It's your greatest need. Where we are promised in the gospel that Jesus will heal and cleanse you if you put your faith in Him. See, if you put your faith in Jesus that by, and believe that by His stripes you will be healed, that, that, that by His cross and by His death you will be saved from the wrath of God, that God really has healed you, He will transform and change you from the inside out. See, we all come to God for a healing and cleansing that only He can provide. Now often hear people say all kinds of things that, that recognize the problem and it's misguided. So I hear people all the time say things like, man, you know, I, I really want to come to church, right? Really want to, to spend time with more Christians and to start following God and get my life straight. But I feel like I need to sort of clean myself up before I come to God and to his people. And I think that sounds really right, right? I mean, to our internal sense of logic and self-righteousness. Like I just, my biggest problem is I need to fix me. But the problem that Jesus has come to tell us that we have is deeper than skin deep. It is our very souls and our hearts. We need to be transformed and healed and cleansed with a kind of healing and cleansing that only Jesus Christ can bring any of us. None of us need to just fix ourselves to come Jesus. That misses the gospel. The gospel is we will not ever be cleaned or or fixed up or in the right place until we come to Jesus. Do you see it? This leper, he was sicker than he knew. Went to the core of his being. And I want want you to know, friend, this morning, if you are looking for life change and you are looking for hope in this life and you want the kind of cleansing that only God can provide and the true hope that you will be in the presence of God, the only way to do that is by putting your faith in Jesus. Let me encourage you to do that today. Don't leave here without talking to me or another believer in this building about how you can change your life by putting your faith in Christ and following Him. But there's a real message here for Christians as well. There's a lesson here for us. See, the same Jesus that healed and cleansed us, brothers and sisters, He has authority over our lives, over what we do and how we live and how we use our mouths. And sometimes Jesus will command you to do things that you don't like and that are uncomfortable. And it might be often that you sense this kind of friction, this tension between the authority of God and the desires of your heart. And catch this, Jesus comes saying, you need to trust me every time. I am the king of your life. And and brothers and sisters, there will be times where you obey. You will disobey the king. You will disobey this great king who has given you new life and rescued you from death and cleansed you and healed you. And he has done great things for you, bringing you to salvation. And then you find yourself disobeying the great God who has loved you so much. Have you seen that? So maybe this morning you're a husband that knows that God has called you to sanctify your wife through the washing of of the word. You hear me? Like he's called you to wash her with the word. And you, you, you instead beat her down with your words to win arguments. And the only thing that keeps you from feeling dirty, right? Because you know you're dirty. is feeling like you can hide behind your own sense of self-righteousness or logic. Mine's logic. I like to hide behind. That was very rational what I just did, right? And you realize in that moment, that is not what Christ has called me to do. That's not the husband that I've been called to be. Or maybe God has called you to raise your child to reflect the character of the King of glory, but you are too tired to discipline your children. Been a long day, they're they're bad, like, just watch a movie and get away from me, right? 
rather than sitting and speaking the gospel into their hearts or disciplining them in the way that you were supposed to. Or, or, or maybe it's family devotion time and you're just you're tired again, right? Like, we're not talking four out of five, we're talking like four out of 30. Or, you know, we don't count anymore. And time keeps on ticking, ticking, right? Just keeps on ticking, ticking into the future. Or maybe you're single and you know that God has called you not to be unequally yoked. The most important relationship in your life. You need to, to find someone who's spiritually going to be an encouragement to you, drive you towards Jesus to the end. But you're lonely, and so you're, you're broadening your search, right? Like you're not just looking on eHarmony anymore. You're starting to look at all kinds of other dating websites. And you're, just, you're so lonely, and you're broadening your search to guys and girls who don't love Jesus and the Jesus that you love. Or you're single or married, and your eyes... They, they begin to look lustfully after other men and women who you have not entered into the marriage covenant with. And, and maybe you have made a covenant with your eyes like Job did, not to look lustfully upon a woman at 3 o'clock, but it's 11 o'clock and you're tired and you're not paying attention, you're alone with the computer. And, and Jesus' voice, His commands, that great Jesus who loved you so much, His voice has become very silent in your ears. His authority seems weak. Or what about this? Jesus told this leper to be silent about his identity as the Christ. Jesus says, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. And this leper told everybody. And Jesus tells you and me to go tell everybody about Jesus. And we go silent. And there's still a leper. The flesh at war with on all of us. Sometimes I wonder if we'd be better witnesses if Jesus told us not to. But let us this morning remember... This man in this moment pictures all of us. And our struggle with sin means a rebel nature still remains in each of us. And as a church, we need to know that all of us need to lunge for Jesus, for healing and cleansing that only He provides. As we pray, as we read God's Word, and as we love one another the glory of God, seeking His will in all things, from cleansing to to, to obedience, we need to pursue Him with each other. And not only that, we have the best news on the planet for spiritual lepers. Right? We know where lepers like us can go and be healed and cleaned. Amen? And if you really understand you're a leper and your desperate need for the mercy and grace of God, that's where you'll go. You'll go to Jesus. And we're all spiritual lepers desperately needy for God's grace to cleanse us and bring us into His presence. We need nothing less than the radical intervention of God to cure us of that incurable sin that plagues us and that threatens eternal death and damnation. We need to lunge for grace like this leper and lunge for Jesus. See, the gospel is our only hope. Let's pray.